You are listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Ladies, you've had some special days with Mother's Day and sisterhood, so I need you to lend some support to our men. Because how many of you know when the, when the men of God, when men of God get better, the whole church gets better? Come on, can I get an amen? Ladies. And so I need you to support the guys today. But I promise you, if you lean in, there'll be something for you today as well. But today, I want to talk to you about spiritual maturity. And I want to talk to you about embracing biblical manhood. Now, speaking of maturity, how many of you have seen uh, these posts on social media about adulting? You know, adulting, like someone does something responsible, like they pay their bills or they do their laundry or they clean their house and they post about it, hashtag adulting. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right, we're going to do a little segment that I call Fun with Memes. Anybody want to have fun today? It's Father's Day. I'm going to have, we're going to have fun. All right, so we're going to have a few memes that all kind of have this theme of adulting. And I think some of these will resonate with you guys. So go ahead and put that first one up there, guys. First one up there. Yeah, what's your favorite childhood memory? Me, not paying bills. How many of you guys can identify with that one? <laughs> all right, we got another one for you. Next one. Put that next one up there. Welcome to adulthood where the taxes are too high and your degree doesn't matter. Oh, that one's like painfully true. Like some of y'all, that's like, oof, that like really hits. (laughs) Okay, this next one really resonates with me. Being an adult is mostly being exhausted, wishing you hadn't made plans, and wondering how you hurt your back. (laughs) Can I get an amen, somebody? (laughs) That pretty much sums up adulthood. Sorry, kids. That's pretty much what you have to look forward to. (laughs) Now, this next one is my favorite this morning. Put that one up there. I've hit the age where I understand why people were so happy to win an appliance. (laughs) I am so ashamed to admit that Amy and I could like really celebrate if we went on The prices Right and won some appliances right now. We would be really happy. <laughs> that one's great. And then this last one, the picture just says it all. I can't adult today. Please don't make me adult. How many of you have ever felt like exactly like that? <laughs> a picture is worth a thousand words, isn't it? <laughs> well, all jokes aside, growing up can be painful, but it's a lot better than the alternative, staying immature. How many of you know that's true? In fact, I think the same thing is true for us spiritually. God's desire is for us to grow spiritually. God's desire is for us to to go on to spiritual maturity, to experience and embrace spiritual maturity. Let me show you a few scriptures. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. He said, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. The Apostle Paul said I had to embrace the ways of of being a man, right? God didn't want me to stay a child. He wanted me to go on to maturity. Look at this, what the Apostle Peter said in in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. He said, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, like the, the, the milk of God's word that will nourish you so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. In other words, God does not want you to stay a spiritual infant. He wants you to grow up spiritually. Come on, turn to somebody and say, grow up. Help me preach today. Grow up. (laughs) I wish you would grow up. All right, we're saying it encouraging, okay? Don't, yeah, be nice. Grow up spiritually. Don't say it with an edge on you. (laughs) But I think one of the challenges that we face and embracing spiritual maturity uh, is, is confusion in, in our culture and a lack of godly 
examples, especially for men. I mean, first of all, our, our, our culture is totally confused about gender right now, like in general. That's a sermon for another time. And then we have a lack of, of really godly examples, especially for men. We're, we're living in a cultural moment where many of the traditional traits associated with manhood, manhood aren't valued in our culture because sadly many of them have been abused in what we might call toxic masculinity. You know this term, right? Toxic masculinity. So for example, um, a traditional attribute uh, that we associate with men, something like strength. How many of you know strength can be a good thing? Like men, you can use your strength to protect your family. You can use your strength to be a defender of the weak, to advocate for those who are powerless. But one can also use their strength to abuse others, to coerce others, to to bully others, right? So we're having this cultural moment where we're kind of questioning these traditional values. And we have to be careful because we can end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Because even though we live in a fallen, broken world, how many of you know that we serve a redemptive God who wants to redeem the qualities that he's put in men to use us to advance? advance his kingdom. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. I was reading an interesting book recently. Uh, It's called The Intentional Father by Pastor John Tyson in New York City. And he wrote about something fascinating. He describes five universally recognized rules, which all cultures have historically taught uh, to help them transition to manhood. Rules like life is hard, You are not the most important person. Your life is not all about you. You are not in control. Your life is temporary. And and John Tyson, he, he talks about how almost all cultures throughout the history of civilization have had ways to intentionally teach these life rules to to young men, to boys, to help them transition to adulthood, to help them transition to manhood. Like as, as you study different cultures, like these rules are present up until, with the exception of modern culture. Like we are missing this in modern culture. For the first time in the history of the world, we are not intentionally, especially in the Western world, passing these values on to young men, especially. In fact, our modern culture often tells us the opposite of the rules I just read. Our our modern culture tells us things like, life should be easy. You should embrace a life of ease. You're important as in you're the center of the world. Life is pretty much about you and your happiness and your fulfillment. You should try to control everything. A strong man is a man who's in control of everything. And live for the moment as in focus on the the temporary. It subtly communicates that. And the prevailing message is one of self-fulfillment. And with all all of this focus on self-fulfillment, fulfillment, it can actually cause men especially to extend, uh, to experience like an extended adolescence that kind of stunts our spiritual growth and keeps us from reaching our full redemptive potential. But how many of you know that Jesus shows us something completely different? Jesus, who is the the ultimate model of manhood, he showed us something different. He, He showed us that a man embraces difficulty. He showed us that, that we're to, to care about others, not just ourselves. He showed us that, that, that our story is a part of a greater story, that, that to be a man, a man is willing to surrender to, to a greater cause and live for eternity, not just for the temporary. So today, I want to give you four shifts that we need to make, men, to embrace biblical manhood. 
to be like Jesus. Now, ladies, once again, I need you to support the men today, okay? Because when the men get better, we all get better. But as I said, there's going to be something here for all of us today because we all need to experience spiritual maturity. God is calling all of us to spiritual maturity. But I want to speak and encourage especially our men today, the fathers, the, the husbands, the sons, the brothers, the teenagers, the young professionals. I, I, I want to encourage you to lean in today. Get your phones out and take some notes today because I really believe I'm going to speak to some things that are going to help you today. Dads, take some notes to pass these lessons on to your, to your kids, and especially if you have sons, to talk to them about this, okay? I'm going to give you some material that's going to help you with your parenting. Four shifts we need to make to embrace biblical manhood, and for inspiration, I want us to look at the life of Jesus. Come on, how many of you know that our goal is to become more like Jesus? If you become more like Jesus, something went right. Something went good, okay? So that, that's our goal, to become more like Jesus. So here's the, the first shift. Are you ready? Shift number one is the shift from ease to difficulty. The shift from ease, in other words, the, the shift from a life of ease to embracing difficulty. How many of you ever wish that you could go back to the easy days of childhood? Anybody with me? Like that first meme, when you didn't have to pay any bills. Come on, when you got an allowance from your parents, right? Like it just came to you. Like when the tooth fairy just left you cash under your pillow. The ease of childhood. Like when the most difficult decisions you had to make was, how do I, you know, how do I do my homework and find enough time to play video games, right? Do I play with this friend today or that friend? Do we play basketball or football on the street? Like the really big decisions of life when you were a kid. How many of you missed those days? Are, are you with me? And we know that for, for children, a life of ease is natural. But I think our culture has a way of communicating that, that the ideal life is a life of ease. Like the goal of your life is that it should be a life of ease. And I think social media really drives this one. And I'm not going to pick on social media today because we all do this. But what do we do with social media? We post our highlight reels, right? We post our fun moments. We don't post our most, I don't post my most difficult moments. Like we post pictures of vacation, and hanging out with friends, right, and going to restaurants and doing fun things. You know, I look at my life on social media, and it looks amazing. Like, I want to live that guy's life, you know? I'm like, that dude's hanging out in New York City all the time. He's on vacation. Like, does he ever work? Does he do anything? But that's the point. Like, that's what social media is about. I want to go back and remember those highlight moments. But I think what happens is we see so many people, you know, doing the easy things, the, the, the fun things, and it creates in us FOMO, like the fear of missing out. And so if you're in the middle of work, having a long day at work or in a difficult season, you know, you, you start glancing at social media and it starts subtly communicating to you that life should be a lot easier than what you're experiencing right now. That the point of life, the pinnacle of life is supposed to be a life of ease. Like we're just supposed to live on the golf course. We're supposed to be on vacation all the time. And so can I set somebody free this morning to help you out? If you're experiencing difficulty, it doesn't mean you're doing life wrong. Now, you might be doing some things wrong to create problems for yourself, you know. I saw a meme one time that said, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is you're stupid and you make bad decisions. <laughs> it's Father's Day. I'm going to say whatever pops in my head today. <laughs> oh, I'll filter it a little bit or I'd lose my job. But here's what I want you to know. I want to help you today. Because what can happen is, as we live in this culture, you know, where, where ease is celebrated so much, it can actually begin to communicate the idea to us that if our life isn't easy, we're doing something wrong that we're doing something wrong. And I want to set somebody free today. If you're in a difficult season, if you're working hard right now, if everything's not going your way, it doesn't mean you're necessarily doing something wrong. In fact, you might be doing some things right. See, what did Jesus show us? 
Jesus actually left a life of ease in heaven. Jesus left the splendor and the majesty of heaven to come to this difficult world and to embrace the difficulty of the cross. Let me show you a scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says to encourage us. He says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, listen to these words, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at verse three. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, who embraced difficulty, Jesus, who had to put up with sinners, the perfect son of God, left the, the ease of heaven. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer of Hebrews says, if you need an example, if you're going through some difficult times, if you're experiencing some pushback, if you're facing difficulty, even some spiritual warfare, then get your eyes on Jesus because he embraced those things. He leaned into it because he recognized that God had a greater plan. Let me help you today. You need to hear this today. Our greatest fulfillment often lies on the other side of something difficult. Come on, somebody came to church to hear that today. Often your, your greatest fulfillment, the greatest moments of fulfillment that God has for you, they often lie on the other side of something difficult. And I meet so many people, especially men, who miss out on how God wants to, to, to use their life because they're afraid to experience difficulty, to go through something difficult, to be inconvenienced, to, to, to sacrifice. And it makes me think about the story of the rich young ruler in the Gospels. Any of you remember that story? There was a rich young ruler who met Jesus, and Jesus actually invited this guy to follow him. And he said, you only have one thing left to do. Go sell all of your possessions and, and give the money to the poor and come follow me. And the scripture says that the, the man went away heavy-hearted because he was a man of great wealth, and it was too hard for him to follow Jesus. But how many of you know that he missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime because internship with the Son of God looks pretty good in your resume? And he missed it. And we read his story to this day. And we don't want to be that guy. See, I've discovered that the most rewarding things in my life have often come from the most difficult things, the most difficult seasons. Come on, how many of you know that marriage is difficult? Raising kids is difficult. Getting my Master of Divinity while I was working full time and raising kids and staying up to 2 o'clock in the morning to study was difficult. Planting this church was difficult. I barely survived it. We celebrate the anniversary every year because it's like, thank you, Jesus, we survived. But it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done with my life. I want you to hear this today that sometimes the most fulfilling things in your life, they lie on the other side of difficult things. There's a book coming out this month called Do Hard Things. It's by best-selling author Steve Magnus, and some of you may have read some of his business books. He's a, he's a performance guru, a performance scientist. This guy actually trains like Olympic athletes. He helps them get into the zone. But it reminded me that a couple years ago, there was actually a Christian book that came out called Do Hard Things, and I never read it. It's a book for teenagers about kind of raising their expectations for, for life and serving God. And I think if Jesus were here today, he would say, especially to all of us, but especially to the men in the house on Father's Day, he, I think he would say to us, quit playing it safe and do some hard things. Don't be afraid of, of the hard things. Come on, men. Come on, men. Learn how to commit to one woman and love her well for a lifetime. Do some hard things. 
Come on, commit to whatever career God has called you into and become the best at that thing that God has called you to to do. Be the best that you can possibly be. Come on, if you're a husband, be the best husband you can be. If you're a father, do the hard work of fathering and be the best father you can be. Sacrifice, serve others, give of yourself. Be a man of integrity. Do some hard things. Because the most fulfilling moments of life lie on the other side of hard things. So if your life is a little bit hard right now, if you're pressing in, if you're working hard, if you're facing some difficulty, please do not believe this lie that you're doing life all wrong. It may be that you're leaning into the very purpose that God has for your life. Come on, turn to somebody and say, do hard things. Tell them, do hard things, do hard things. Y'all are going to help me preach today. And as a reward, we're going to give you a hot dog after service. All right, shift number two. We're talking about some shifts that we need to make to embrace biblical manhood, to go into spiritual maturity. Shift number two is the shift from self to others, from self to others. You see, one of the messages that we're bombarded with through marketing every day is this message that that you are the center of the world, like you are the center of, of your world. And I think Apple was really brilliant, you know, a few years ago when they came up with this idea of putting I before all their products, you know, like iPod, iPhone, iPad. Like it was brilliant marketing, right? Because it was this way of communicating that you can be the center of your world and we're gonna give you technology that will help you curate your life with playlists and pictures and songs and movies and everything that's just catered to your taste. And we bought that message because we like it because it said you can be the center of, of the world, the center of your world, and that's how we like it. Can I get an amen from everybody who has an iPhone in your pocket right now? We're like, yeah, I can buy into that message. I like that. Yeah, that's good marketing, right? And I noticed also that there are many advertisements these days that, that use the word deserve. Have you seen this? Like, purchase this product because of the comfort and, that you and your family deserve. Not that you want, that you deserve. Like, you should buy a hot tub because you deserve it. <laughs> you can't afford it, but you deserve it. <laughs> You're a good person. Go buy the hot tub. It's on sale this weekend. Like, deserve. It's funny. And I think all of this marketing language, it ends up giving us, it creates a sense of entitlement, and it, commutes, it communicates subtly to us this idea that you are the most important person in the world, that you are the center of your world. But what does Jesus show us? What does Jesus show us? Jesus, who actually was the most important person in the world. Jesus, who actually was the most important person to ever live on this planet. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples when they were arguing amongst themselves about who was going to be the greatest in his kingdom. Come on, you got to love the disciples. They're fighting about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Here's what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verses 43 through 45. He says, whoever wants to become prominent among you shall be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you shall be the slave of of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, Okay, you want to be great in my kingdom? Here's how you do it you become the servant of all. Whoever's the greatest, come on, it's an upside down kingdom. Whoever wants to be the greatest in my kingdom becomes the servant of all. Here's Jesus. If there was anybody who could have expected to be served, how many of you know it was Jesus, the Son of God, okay? And what did he do? Instead, he said, I I didn't come to to be served. 
I came to, to, to serve and to give my life away. And that's literally what Jesus would do. He would give his life away as a ransom to pay for our sins. And so Jesus lived for others, not for himself. He showed us a different way. He recognized that his life's mission, his life's purpose was part of a much bigger plan that the Father had. See, our culture tells us life is all about you. But Jesus is calling us to live for others. And I want to stop today and just say I'm so thankful on this Father's Day for the men that we have who serve faithfully in all different areas of our church. Come on, greeters, men serving as greeters and ushers in the parking lot, held the door open for you. Men loving on our kids in kids' church, serving on the worship team in creative arts. And when we have serve days, they're out leading the way. And you women had a nice sisterhood gathering, but I heard there were some men here who were serving you faithfully. Come on, let's give it up for all of our men who are serving and living this message well. And so all of us, but especially men, I want to say to you that we have to have a shift in perspective and recognize that we are part of of God's story. We're part of a bigger story. In fact, I I would put it this way. You're a part of a story, but you're not the whole story. You got to know this. Your your story matters. It's not that your story doesn't have meaning and value. It it absolutely does. You're part of a story. It's just that you're not the whole story. And I'm going to kind of just talk to the guys for a moment here because I think one of the challenges for us as men is we always want to be the hero in the story. Come on, guys. I'm about to puff my chest up talking about this because this is how we are. We're wired this way. Like, we want to be the hero in the story. Like, how many of you guys do this? I do this to this day. Like, when I'm out shooting hoops sometime, like, I still do the three, two, one, like, shoot the buzzer beater, right? And, like, in my mind, I'm Steph Curry. Like, I'm hitting that shot. I'm winning the MVP in the finals. Like, I want to be the hero of the story. Are you with me? When I watch Braveheart with Mel Gibson, like, I'm William Wallace. Like, my face is smeared with blue paint. Right? If I watch James Bond, like I'm 007, like I'm a guy who's cool, calm, and collected, can take you out in your sleep, right? Like I want to be the hero. I think that's the way we're wired, guys. But I think God would say to us, you're part of a bigger story that I am writing. And the story already has a hero, and his name is Jesus. And you're called to be a part of the supporting cast of the story. Play your part well, live it well. You have purpose, you have a story that matters. It's just that the story is not all about you. We got to get this. We got to get this. Life is not about us getting everything we want. If you live that way, your life will actually be insignificant. Culture tells us that's the path to significance. Jesus tells us the opposite. Whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. It's a countercultural message. And so actually we have to recognize that, that our life is a small part of a much larger redemptive story that's unfolding. And, and you're, you're invited into a life of significance, a life of purpose. Come on, is this helping anybody today? We're talking about some shifts that we have to make to, to embrace maturity, especially for the men today, to step into all that God has for us and to, to be men of God. Here's shift number three. It's the shift from control to surrender. Everybody say surrender. Come on. The shift from control to surrender. See, culture tells us that you can and should be in control of your life. Culture says like you are the master of your destiny. Culture says that success looks like you being in control of every area of your life. And I think men, we, we kind of like that message. Let's be honest, I mean, all of us want to be in control. But I think especially as men, like it gives us a, a feeling of strength, right? To know that we're in control. We like being in control, in control, which usually means buying new technology so we can like master our lives. See, marketers tell us that, that with enough technology, we can be the masters of, of the universe, the master of our world. The more money you make, 
the more stuff you can buy, and the more you can foolproof your life. That's really what it is, and we kind of end up believing it. But how many of you have lived long enough to know that control is often an illusion? That life, if you lived enough life, life will come along and remind you that control is actually an illusion. You're not nearly as, as much in control as you think you are. You're, you're one car accident away from a completely different life. I don't mean to be depressing today, but like we need to wake up to the fragility of life. We're not as in control as we think we are. I'm going to give you a vulnerable story from my own life to demonstrate this. When Amy and I were in our late 20s, early 30s, we were serving as associate pastors at a church called the Tabernacle in, in a suburban Buffalo in Orchard Park, New York, in my wife's hometown of Buffalo. And we were in a season like where everything was going our way. Come on, how many of you ever been in a season like, man, you're on a roll, like things are going your way. I got promoted from being the youth pastor to being the senior associate pastor at a historic church in my denomination. I was sitting, uh, you know, I was the understudy to a legendary pastor. I was the number two at the church. And then uh, we just got moved into a parsonage, which means the church gave us a free house to live in. Can I get an amen? Somebody, which was a major like upgrade for us, like salary wise to get this house and we had a beautiful backyard and I was starting to work on my seminary degree and the church was giving me a scholarship toward that. Like we were on a roll, like everything was going well. And so we thought, okay, we got the house and at this time we had our oldest son, Aaron, and we thought now's the time to start growing our family, right? And so Amy can't keep her hands off me anyway. So we had, she's not even in here probably. <laughs> and so we had another baby on the way, right? And, and we were excited to be growing our family, and just about the time we were about to announce the news to everybody, the doctor told Amy, hey, be prepared. Your numbers aren't looking good. You're going to have a miscarriage, and we indeed had a miscarriage, and then a few months later, we had another miscarriage, and, and it was a season of brokenness. I mean, here we were. Things were going so well in our lives, and it was like the, the rug got pulled out from under us. Anybody ever had a moment like that, like where the rug literally got like pulled out from under your feet? Like, I didn't see that coming, and so that's what happened to me. Like, it was like life's way of saying, like, you're not in control. I don't believe God sent that to us, but it was a life reminder, right? Like, for me, life was going according to my plan. It was going the way I dreamed it up. It was going like the way I wrote it up. It was going that way until all of a sudden life came along and reminded me, you're not as in control as you think you are. Control is an illusion. And so the reality is life can be challenging and things are going to come your way that, that you cannot control. We have to learn to, to live with that. We have to, to, to learn to live through challenges and disappointments, especially when things come our, our way that are beyond our control. You've got to know that that is okay. Because if your life is built around the illusion that you can be in control of everything, when things come your way that shake that, your whole life is going to be shaken. And that's we have to build our lives on the unshakable foundation of Jesus Christ. Because what does Jesus show us? Jesus surrendered control of his life. Jesus embraced humility and submission to, to the Father's larger plan. I want to show you a scripture where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the night he's betrayed, and he's, he's about to be arrested and go to the cross, right? And, and this is probably, in all the Gospels, one, the, the, most human, the most human we see Jesus. Like, we really see his humanity here. I mean, we've, the church has believed for 2,000 years Jesus was fully divine, but he was fully human. And so here's Jesus. He's about to go to the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. It says, going a little farther in the garden, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as 
as you will. In other words, Jesus, in his humanity, knew he was about to face excruciating pain. In his humanity, he was about to experience betrayal and torture and death on the cross. And then as the son of God, he knew he would experience separation from the father momentarily as he took on the sins of the world. And he was like, God, if there's any way that you can take this cup of wrath from me that I'm about to drink, yet not not as I will, not my will, but your will be done, right? Like I recognize that my, my life is a part of a bigger story. And so I'm yielded and, and I'm surrendered to you. And I think that would be a really good prayer for us to learn to pray, God, not my will, but your will. And can I just preach there for a moment? And God, when I discover that my will doesn't line up with your will, God, give me the grace to choose your will over my will. When the culture tells me it's okay to live a certain way and I really like the way that sounds and, and I like the way it affirms what I want to do, but when I read your word and it pushes back on that, God, help me. Holy Spirit, help me to choose your will, Father, above my will, my fallen will, because I want to be the center of my universe, but significance happens, maturity happens when we move from, from being in control of everything to, to surrender. And so I want to help encourage somebody today. You can't make everything go your way and you weren't meant to. Stop beating yourself up. Stop feeling inadequate. Stop feeling like you're, you're not successful. Listen, we are not God. He is God and we are not. And we have to learn to release and trust him, to surrender to God, to his redemptive plan. But I want to encourage you today, even if you're going through a season where life isn't working out like you had hoped, it's not working out like, you, like your dreams and aspirations told you it would. If you've been through a season where life has pulled the rug out from under your feet, I want you to know he's a good God. He's a redemptive God. He's a God who's able to work Work all things together for our good, according to his good plan, right? According to his power that's at work in us, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so we got to move from control to surrender. And there's a peace that comes with that, peace that comes with that. Here's shift number four. Number four, we're talking about some shifts we have to make to embrace maturity for the men today, to step into, to step into biblical manhood. Number four is the shift from the temporary to the eternal. The shift from the temporary, the focus on the temporary, to the eternal. See, our culture conveys the idea that the here and now is what matters most. Live for the moment. Live, live for today. And don't get me wrong, there's, there's, there's a certain truth to being present in the moment, but our culture tends to, to kind of teach us subtly to put all your eggs in that basket. Live for today. Sometimes it even sends the message that like we can live forever. You know, like it doesn't really fully deal with the fact that this life is temporary. Now, remember, we're talking about spiritual maturity here. How many of you know that when you're a kid, a, a young child, um, you don't tend to think much about the, the, the temporary nature of your life, right? Come on. When you're five, six, seven, eight years old, whatever, like you're not thinking about how temporary your life is. But as you get older, as you get a little more seasoned and you begin to realize that life is going by fast. How many of you know life is going by so fast, right? Like you used to be young. Now look at, no, I'm just kidding. You look good. You're aging well. You're a good-looking congregation. But the reality is life is, it's going by fast, right? Like when you can relate to the meme about your back hurting, like, yeah, it's kind of true, pastor. It's going by fast. You begin to recognize the temporary nature of, of this life. Now, I'm a history buff. And one of the historical treasures that we have in the New York City area is several graveyards that date back to colonial times. They got a lot of colonial history and American Revolution history. And some of those graveyards would be like uh, Trinity Church on Wall Street. There's a really cool one there. Alexander Hamilton's buried there. And then uh, there's, there's one at St. Paul's Chapel right by the World Trade Center. Or here in Westchester, 
There's the old Dutch church graveyard in Sleepy Hollow. You should go visit it sometime. There's some really cool history there. And I love looking at some of the old like gravestones because back then, like sometimes people told a story on the gravestone in just a few words and there's really cool poems and things like that. But there's one thing that almost all headstones have in common and that is a date of birth, a date of death, and a dash in between. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And see, here's the thing we have to realize. Your whole life is going to come down to the dash in between. And so here's my question for you today. Like, what are you doing with the dash that's going to last in eternity? I mean, it's always a good moment for me to reflect when I, when I see something like a graveyard, to think about somebody's whole life, you know, summed up in that dash. Or when I go to a funeral and they hand me the little card, you know, and there's a little obituary, to think that somebody's whole life is just summed up in just a few, few words. And it makes me re- re- reflect, like, how am I living this life? Am I so focused on the, the temporary? What do I need to do to get my eyes on the eternal? See, it, it's so easy to get focused on the here and now. And here's the other thing. We're so busy, right? Like our life is just flying by so fast. We're so busy that often we don't stop to, to reflect on how we're living. And so what happens is it's easy to kind of fall into the pattern, really the trap of living mostly for temporary things like your car and your house, what kind of vacations you're going to go on and your clothes and all that stuff. And look, all of those things are wonderful, okay? All those things are, are great, but those aren't the things that matter the most, okay? Those are the things that matter the most, we gotta get our eyes on, we gotta get our eyes on, on, on eternal things, okay? I have a house like you, I fix it up, but can I tell you, that is not the great focus of my life. Listen to me, one day you are gonna sell your house and move to the beach in Florida, and you're gonna live next to me, and we're gonna get old and tan together, and we're gonna start like a geriatric redemption community church down there, and we're all gonna be old together, it's gonna be awesome. But somebody else is gonna get your house, and they're gonna rip out your kitchen that you loved and turn it all upside down. Your beautiful lawn that you work so hard on, it's gonna, they're going to let it go. It's going to be terrible. I just I hate to tell you now. Like somebody else is going to own your house. Somebody else is going to live in your house. That is not the most important thing. Jesus lived for eternal rewards, not temporary reality. In fact, he laid down his temporary earthly life so that we could gain eternity with the Father. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 once again. Look at this. We're going to emphasize something different here. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Look at this next phrase. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was it that motivated Jesus? It was the joy set before him. It was our eternal redemption. He saw us. He saw his church. He saw his bride. He saw you and me redeemed. He saw his place at the right hand of the Father. And so here's my question for you today. What's the joy set before you? Come on, what is it that gives you eternal perspective? Maybe you're a dad in the house today. Come on, maybe it's the joy of seeing your kids grow up to be godly young people. Let me just tell you, it's not just your responsibility to clothe them and educate them and make sure they get into a good college one day. No, no, it's your primary role to put the kingdom of God in their hearts. If you get that right, you've got everything right. If you get all the other stuff right and you miss that, you've missed it live with eternity. 
Come on, let me speak to the men today. Maybe you're a businessman and, and, it's, you know, and your focus is on your, your career and making money and building wealth and all that is, is good. But you've got to recognize that like God didn't give all that to you just for you. He gave it to you to put it through you to build his kingdom. It's shifting to eternity. It's shifting to the things that are going to outlast us, the things that are going to outlive us. What is the joy set before you? What, what legacy do you want to leave in other people? Let me give you this last analogy, okay? For two years in high school, I ran cross country. And cross country, for those of you who don't know, it's three mile races, so it's pretty long. And I ran it in the heat and humidity of South Louisiana. So it was brutal. And we would have these three, three mile races, and it was a windy course, and there was hills and all kind of stuff like that. But you would come to the, to the final stretch, probably about 400 meters, and I can still picture that turn to this day. You would come out of this turn, and you would see the finish line. And there was the clock there you know, giving you your time. And there was teammates and parents and other people celebrating those who were, who were at the finish line. And I'm telling you, every time I saw that finish line, I kicked it up into like another gear that I couldn't get to throughout that race. And, and I got a runner's high. How many of you have ever experienced that before? Like the adrenaline would pump in and I would take off. I always picked up a bunch of places in, in the race right toward the end because the joy that was set before me, knowing I was going to be out of the pain that I was in, the cramping and the sweating, and I was going to be laying on the grass drinking some water out of pain in just a few minutes, right? The joy that was set before me. Come on, church, I want to help you today. We've got to get a vision of the long game. We've got to get a vision of our lives having an impact, something that, uh, that outlasts us, something that outlives us. I mean, the ongoing temptation is to invest our lives into the temporary when Jesus invites us to invest our lives into his kingdom. Let me just be real with you today. At your funeral one day, nobody's going to talk about how much money you had. Nobody's going to care about what kind of house you lived in, what kind of car you drove, what kind of vacations you went on, what kind of clothes you wore. They're going to remember you, talk about you, hopefully say some nice things, and then they're going to sit down and eat chicken because that's what you do after a funeral. It's probably going to be bad chicken, but that's, that's what happens. But you know what's going to matter in that moment? All that's going to matter is what you did for Jesus and what you did to impact other people. Now, here's the thing. We all know that's true. We all know that's true. Why don't we live like that's true? Come on, why don't you take the truth of that moment and why don't you reverse engineer that and get that into your living? Let me tell you, every time I go to a funeral, whether I'm preaching it or whether I'm sitting in the crowd, that's a moment of reflection for me. God, help me to reflect on this temporary life that is flying by so fast that I would invest my life into something that is going to outlast me. Your kingdom, the kingdom of God, the only thing that will outlast me. And so I want to encourage you today. God's desire is for us to grow spiritually, to embrace spiritual Maturity. Come on, men. I want to speak to the men today. I want to encourage you, brothers, sons, fathers, husbands, family members. Listen to me. God's desire is for you to embrace everything he has for you, to step into biblical manhood, to embrace biblical manhood, to embrace spiritual maturity. Because what God wants to do in you isn't just for you. Somebody needs you to step into all that God's calling you to be. Come on. There's some, there's some kids kids church men that need you to step in to you being where God has called you to be. There's some brothers sitting in the crowd among us right now who are broken, who are hurting, who are carrying around heaviness that need you to step in to all that God is calling you to be. Come on, there's some wives in here who need some husbands to step into being all that God is calling you to be. There's some sons, there's some daughters who need us to be the fathers he's calling us to be, to be the sons, the brothers, the men of integrity so that we can be like God, a father to the fatherless defender of the weak, 
a voice for righteousness and justice and hope. Come on, our world is so broken. What our world needs is a few good men, just like that movie. Our world needs that desperately. I talk to my oldest son about this all the time. Son, our world is so broken. Our world needs men who have the authority of compassion, true strength, true strength, men of humility, men who recognize it's not all about me. And so here's our prayer today. God, you go ahead and shift whatever you got to shift in me to make me more like Jesus. You go ahead and shift whatever you have to shift in me. God, if I've been complaining about the difficult things, God, help me to recognize that maybe my destiny lies on the other side of my difficulty. God, help me to get my eyes off of myself and to get my eyes on you, to give my life away in service to other people, to recognize that the story is not all about me. I'm not the hero of the story. Jesus, you are, and I'm going to play my part well. I'm going to play my part well. God, I surrender control of my life. I recognize that your plan is greater and bigger. I have a part to play in your kingdom. And God, help me to get my eyes off of the temporary and start living for the eternal. Come on, man. How many of you want that today? Would you stand with me? We're going to pray into that. I want to pray a blessing over all of the men today. And uh, if you're with your dad or your husband or a family member or a brother in Christ, maybe lay a shoulder on them, put an arm around them. Men, if you're not with somebody else today, don't feel alone. We're standing with you in spirit today. Come on, ladies, just lift your hands. We're blessing you today. We're standing with you today. We see you. We love you. We're praying that you would step into everything that God has for you because when you get better, the church of Jesus Christ gets better. When you get better, we have more healing in this broken world. So come on, men, we're going to step in to everything that God has for us. Maybe you want to lift your hands today as a sign of surrender. Come on, as a sign of surrender. Father, today we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you that you are our loving Heavenly Father. And whatever experience we had with our dad, you are the perfect Heavenly Father, the Father that we always wish we had. And you've been faithful to us. And God, we thank you that you call us to be a part of your story to be a part of of your kingdom. So Lord, today, whatever you have to shift in us to make us more like Jesus, we say go ahead and shift it. Shift our hearts, shift our minds. God, where our will doesn't line up with your will, we choose your will today. We say not my will, but your will be done. We step into difficult things today. We embrace them. Lord, we give our lives away in service to others. We, We surrender control of our lives, the temptation to be in control of everything. We recognize that, God, your plan is bigger and more beautiful, and we find more significance in it. And we set our eyes on what is temporary, not just from the temporary to what is eternal. We shift our eyes from the temporary to the eternal. Father, I bless our men today. We thank you for them, for the gift that they are. May they step into everything that you have for them today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.